Good morning. It's uh, good to be with you all here this morning on this fine, rainy, uh, rainy day. Uh, so I'm Andy. I'm here to uh, uh, preach to you today. I'm from uh, Belfield Presbyterian Church, and uh, I'm in the uh, Evangelical Presbyterian Church under care, Presbytery of the Alleghenies. So our scripture reading for this morning is Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. If you'd like to read along in your pew Bibles, it's on page 689, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. So a brief word about the book of Proverbs before we begin. The book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It's a book that tells us how to navigate this world that we're in in a way that is wise, in a way that is prudent in a way that has understanding with how God's law works, in the way that the world works. Uh, some people have said that the book of Proverbs is kind of a secular book. It's just a, a lot of observations into the world. Uh, and it kind of tells you just how to live a better life now. But that couldn't be any further from the truth as far as how the book of Proverbs works. It's not a secular book at all. The writers of Proverbs, they're looking at the world and having observations about the world uh, looking through the lens of God's covenant and God's revelation. They're seeing how God's world works in relation to God's word. And we can look through God's word and make these observations and find out how to navigate God's world in a way that is pleasing to God and in a way that helps us to worship God and to enjoy God. Now the book of Proverbs in some ways can act a little bit about uh, like the law of God, like the Ten Commandments. It gives us guidance. And just like the law, the book of Proverbs can help us to know which way to go, but it can also convict us of our sins so we can repent of those sins and turn towards Christ for salvation and for healing. So as we read our proverb this morning, we will be looking at it a little bit through that type of lens. We want to be convicted of our sins, and we also want to be guided in a way that is pleasing to God, and we want to turn towards Christ. So Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. Hear now the word of God. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So in this passage here, we have a man or a person, and what characterizes this person, the subject of our passage, is that this person does not have self-control. What is self-control? The, the word, the phrase is kind of self-explanatory. A person without self-control is not in control of themselves. Rather, they let their outward circumstances control them, or they let other people control them. We find this subject of self-control throughout the entire Bible. For example, in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, we find the subject of self-control. If you'd like to turn there to read along, right there at the beginning of the Bible. And this passage takes place right after the fall of humanity. So we find right at the very beginning of fallen human history that there is a self-control problem with sinful human beings. Now this passage does not have an explicit reference to self-control, the word self-control itself is not in the passage, but the concept of self-control certainly is in this passage. So as I read this passage, 
listen and see if you can pick up in the areas where self-control is being referred to. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And the course of time Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So we find self-control in two spots in this passage. First of all, Cain became very angry. He transferred from the area of righteous anger that is not sinful into the area of sinful anger. We know that from later on in the passage because he rose up against his brother and he murdered his brother. Cain had a serious self-control issue. We also find the topic of self-control right in the last sentence that I read. It says, it's that sins, sin's desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain, instead of in his anger, ruling over his brother, murdering his brother, should have ruled over his own sinful desires. He should have had self-control. We also find self-control in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, which reads, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So self-control comes from the Spirit of God. As Christians with the Holy Spirit working in, the, in our lives, that is something that God enables us to do and that we can live out with the help of the Holy Spirit. And Galatians chapter 5 says that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Second Peter chapter 1 verses 5 through 6 say, For this very reason, make, sure every, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. So in this passage here we have faith and we have our faith but we're to add certain things on to our faith. One of those things being self-control. So maybe you wonder, okay, so self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, but it's also something that I'm supposed to act out in my own life and deliberately do. How does that work that God gives us self-control, yet we have to have self-control? After all, the word self-control in and of itself suggests actually doing something, controlling yourself. Let me give a... An example to help understand it's the doctrine of repentance. God gives us the ability to repent as a saving grace. It's not something we earn. We don't repent. We don't turn away from our sins based on our own ability in a way that helps us to merit salvation. No, it is a saving grace. Yet it is still something that we deliberately do. We turn away from that sin. In the same way, with self-control, God gives us the spirit of self-control. Second Timothy chapter one verse seven. Yet we still have to live that self-control out. We have to practice having self-control. And that's one of the things that we'll look at as we go through this sermon. So coming to Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, what does this particular passage, with all these other passages about self-control, tell us about self-control? I'll read the passage again to get it back into our heads. It says, A man without self-control is like 
a city broken into and left without walls. So a man without self-control, a person without self-control, is like a city that doesn't have any walls. You can get that image into your head of an ancient city with fortified walls around it. And what are those walls for? As, we're, uh, as you heard in the, in the children's sermon, the walls are for protection. A city without walls in the ancient time was vulnerable. Enemies can come into the city and they can attack it at any time. If you live in that city, you could not feel secure, you could not be safe, your family was not safe, you were vulnerable. And a person with self-control issues is by definition of this proverb, a vulnerable person. So how is a person without self-control vulnerable? Well, first of all, a lack of self-control can lead to a multitude of other sins. It's like a gateway drug of sins. A lack of self-control will lead to more sins. For example, murder. We saw that in the example with Cain. He had self-control issues, and he ended up murdering his brother. We know from the Ten Commandments that you shall not murder. Murder uh, also has related to it hatred. We don't have self-control. We can end up hating people. We can end up murdering people with our words and with our speech. Going down the commandments, adultery. Self-control and sexual sins are certainly wrapped up in one another. Speech. We find the subject of speech throughout Proverbs frequently. Without self-control, we can sin in all sorts of ways with our words. We can gossip about other people. We can say things about other people that aren't true. We can slander other people. So self-control makes us vulnerable to other sins, like enemies invading our lives, like enemies coming into a city and taking over our lives. Self-control can also make us vulnerable because it leaves us vulnerable to revenge and punishment. A person without self-control can commit crimes, and then you become vulnerable to the punishment of the civil government. That's certainly a very vulnerable thing to be punished by the civil government. To be in jail, to be in prison is a vulnerable situation. Furthermore, it can lead to being punished by others. You have a lack of self-control. You sin against other people. And sinful human beings tend to be vengeful. Using the example of adultery, uh, adultery again. Um, someone who commits adultery, and we know from Proverbs chapter 6, that the wrath of a husband is not abated. It makes someone vulnerable to another person, to that person seeking revenge out on them. Furthermore, having no self-control can lead to being vulnerable in the way of being manipulated by other people. A person without self-control, a person who, say, is easily angered, can be controlled by other people. Then instead of being controlled by the Spirit of God and being controlled by God, they're being controlled by others who know what buttons to push, get that person to react, and get that person to sin and do what they want. A lack of self-control leads to all kinds of vulnerabilities. In particular today, I would like to look at how self-control and anger and vulnerability relate to one another. If we have anger, that can easily cross into the area of sin. And we need to have self-control in this area of anger because anger can be something that is good and used to a right end. But without self-control, it can quickly go off the rails and become sinful. So first I'd like to give you a definition of anger. And this is from... Uh, the Puritan Richard Baxter, he wrote a book called The Christian Directory, and this is where this excerpt comes out of. So here's our definition of 
anger. Anger is a passionate emotional response to a perceived evil that would cross us or hinder us from something good. And it's been given to us by God for our good. It stirs us up to vigorous resistance against anything that opposes God's glory, our salvation, our real good, or the good of our neighbors. Anger is therefore good when it is used to its appropriate end in the right manner and measure. But anger may be sinful. So there we have a pretty positive definition of anger, how it can be something good. It can be an emotion that God works in our hearts to help us respond to injustice, to help us respond to sin. It's that emotion, uh, just to, to get familiar with what that anger is, it, uh, the Hebrew word off uh, can mean nose or can, it can mean anger. Maybe you've seen an angry person, you know that their, their nose will flare up some. That, that's anger. Or a person's lips might curl back. Or if you're familiar with what anger is, you know your heartbeat might start pumping a little faster. You get that sick uh, feeling in your stomach. And that can be a good thing if it helps us to respond to injustice. But it can also be sinful. Richard Baxter gives several examples of when anger is sinful. So listen to these examples and think about, as I read these examples, if maybe in some of these areas you've crossed into the realm from righteous anger into sinful anger. So here are some examples of righteous anger turning into sinful anger. When it opposes God or good, when it disturbs our reason and hinders us from thinking rightly, oftentimes angry people cannot think straightly. It's almost like they're drunk and belligerent. When it causes us to act unbecomingly so as to use sinful words and actions, when it causes us to wrong others by our words and deeds, when it has no just cause behind it, when it is greater in measure than that which is provoked, like responding to a punch with a bazooka, when it makes us unfit to do our duty to God and man, when we're so caught up with our anger about something that we neglect the other good things that we should be doing in the kingdom of God, when it hinders love, brotherly kindness, and the good we might do for others, when it encourages malice, revenge, contentions, and divisions, when it lasts too long and does not cease when it has accomplished its purpose and when it is a means to our own selfish, carnal, and sinful ends. We need to have self-control with our anger so we don't cross into the realm of sinful anger. Psalm 4 says, be angry, but do not sin. And we know from Ephesians that we should not let the sun go down in our anger. Anger can be something that quickly works bitterness into our hearts. It can become difficult to do the basic Christian things, to read our Bibles. It can become difficult to pray because we're so busy being angry. I remember I was walking with a, a group of friends once, a good group of friends, and uh, this young woman was talking about social justice. And one thing that she said in regards to social justice is that she said, I just love being angry. Like it's fun to be angry, something to be coddled. But there's an issue there, because in the Christian life, anger should not be our main characteristic. We should be characterized by love, by love for God, and love for our neighbors. Yes, anger serves a good purpose to a particular end, but it needs to be kept in check and kept in control. And as far as social justice, uh, we can find that uh, in this social justice, acting uh, against oppressors and people who wrong others is a good thing. But in that process, even doing this good work, bitterness can spring up in a person's heart. 
when we act in the realm of social justice or righteous anger, however you want to define it, we need to make sure that we don't destroy our hearts in the process. And as far as social justice goes, we also need to be careful that we have self-control because we're dealing with delicate situations. If there's an oppressor involved and someone who's oppressed, we could easily, by our anger, lose our reasoning and do something that provokes the anger of an oppressor and end up hurting the very people who we are trying to help. We need to keep, as Christians, our heads screwed on straight, even when we have righteous anger. So if you found yourself crossing over the realm from righteous anger into sinful anger, and we all have because we're sinners and we're in a sinful world, what should you do? First of all, uh, what we should do if we crossed over into the sinful realm is we should repent. We should turn away from that sin. We should turn towards God. We should see it for what it is. It is a sin against God, and it is not good. We find the doctrine of repentance in the book of Proverbs. Chapter 1, verse 23, it says, If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. So there is the doctrine of reproof in Proverbs, in the prologue that's giving us a framework for reading the rest of the book. It says, if you, that's us, if we turn or repent at my, that's wisdom's, reproof. Wisdom, understanding how the, war, the world works, can be a guide to help us to repent. When you say, well, I really am in trouble, and I know God's law, and I see how my situation in life has really been a, as a result of my sin, and that can be a guide to helping us repent of our sins. But we shouldn't just repent, we should also trust in God. We should have our faith in God, which is a part of repentance. We just don't turn away from sin, we turn towards God. And we find the subject of trusting in God in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean in your own understanding. So right there in Proverbs chapter 3, we see that we should trust in the Lord as far as understanding, as knowledge, as wisdom, and not trust in ourselves. But even beyond trusting in God for knowing right from wrong, we should trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. He had no sinful anger. He may have gotten righteously angry. For example, when he flipped over the tables of the money changers, that, that was righteous anger. And Jesus had no self-control issues. When we're talking about repenting of anger, we're talking also about repenting of self-control. When we're talking about trusting in God despite our anger issues, we're also talking about trusting in God despite our self-control issues. So first of all, we repent and then we trust in God. Furthermore, if we have issues with self-control and we have issues with anger, we need to pray. We can't do it on our own. Remember, self-control is a, uh, is a fruit of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit working in our lives. We can't overcome sin on our own. We need to pray, and we need to ask God for help overcoming our sins. We may not be perfect in this life. We won't be until we go to be with the Lord. But yes, we still can make progress in our sanctification and our holiness, and our relationship with God, and our relationship with other people, as we continue on in our lives by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And finally, conform your mind to God's word. If you have an issue with self-control and with anger, see anger the way that God sees it. See self-control the way that God sees it. The book of Proverbs is full of all these short sayings, and they're very vivid sayings. They give us imagery, and let that imagery sink into your mind. If you're angry, 
If you're angry with another person, you're not gaining control over your life with your anger. Venting out against another person, it might feel good for a minute, but only all you're doing is you're making yourself vulnerable. You're making yourself vulnerable to your other sins because self-control leads to other sins. You're making yourself vulnerable to attack by other people. You're making yourself vulnerable to being punished by the civil government, and you're sinning against God. You're like a city broken into and left without walls. Let the imagery sink into your heads. Let God's word conform your mind. Repent, trust, pray, and conform your mind to God's word. Let us pray together. Dear Father, we know that we have all sinned in this area of self-control and of, of anger. And we pray that as a church here, that you'll help us to overcome these sins. We pray that by your Holy Spirit that uh, you will guide us along your short pathways and help us, rather than being angry, to be patient with others. And uh, we pray that you will forgive us for falling short in this area. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.